Well, good morning, Warehouse Church. So good to be with you this morning. Isn't it good news to know that there's nothing that God can't do? Is that not good news? Like, that should get like a really rousing amen. Let me just try it again. There's nothing that God can't do. And that is such good news. It's such good news. I love that. And uh, this morning, we are continuing to dive into the book of Daniel. And so today is a, um, there's a lot of material to cover. So I'm just going to jump right in, Daniel chapter 7. And because uh, uh, it's not easy, this is, a, we're getting into the prophecy stuff. And so it's like, it's hard to keep it uh, short. So I want to jump in and just get to the meat of everything today. So if you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 7, that's where we're at. And as I go about my days, uh, I'm discovering this. I'm discovering that so many today are struggling to find hope. Like you may relate to that. You may be one of those people that are struggling to find hope because here's what I'm, I'm realizing that either you are either one of two people, you're either a person that is hopeful or you a person that is hopeless. And that seems to be the two kinds of people that are walking around today are people that are hopeful or people that are hopeless. You see, you're either confident uh, in God for your future or you are stuck wondering where God is in the moment. So those are the kind of people that I run into or I bump into every day, and I find that life is like seasons, right? Like life is like the seasons of spring and fall and winter and summer. And those of you that are hopeless right now, you are living in the season of winter where everything seems dead, right, in your life. And God doesn't seem to be listening to you, and there doesn't seem to be much growth in your own life. And in this season, you just find yourself, when you're in winter, you just find yourself crying out, where are you, God, right? And he seems to be distant, and God seems to be silent. And then there's others of us that are in summer, and, uh, and, and you are full of hope. Like, you are full of hope in your relationship with God, because your relationship with God is it's on fire right now. Like, it is, there's a spark going on inside of you. You feel God's presence. You feel his closeness. You wake up every day like, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to conquer today. And you're in the middle of summer. And uh, God is speaking to you on a regular basis. And you trust that he has your best interest in mind. And you're living in summer or a hopeful time. And I wonder today, the question I just want us to think about is where is your hope today? Like, where is your hope? Are you feeling hopeful or are you feeling hopeless? And you might be like, you know what, Pastor Rick, I'm not in summer, but I'm in spring, right? Like, you may feel like you're in the season of spring. Like, you don't see the fullness of life, but you see the evidence that God is working in your life and you know that a new day is ahead. So you might be like, I'm not in summer, but I'm feeling like I'm in spring. Or, or maybe others of you are just coming out of summer and, and where God was really close, but for some reason you're beginning to feel a little distant and things are changing just like fall. And, and maybe you're getting a little anxious and maybe you're feeling a little hopeless because things aren't going to work out exactly as you had planned. You see, we're all somewhere on the spectrum. And, uh, and my hope for you today is that if you are feeling hopeless, that if you came in today and you're feeling hopeless, my hope is that there's no shame and there's no embarrassment in feeling hopeless, but rather that you would have an understanding of this. You would have an understanding that God has a future and a plan for your life. And hopefully today, you will leave here understanding that no matter what's going on in the present, that God is in control of the future, that God is in control. And for those of you that are feeling hopeful, like maybe today you're in a season of summer and you're feeling hopeful, I want you to make sure, 
I want you to leave here today knowing that your hope is totally in God and not in yourselves or not in the prosperity that you are experiencing right now, but that you have placed your hope fully in God. Now, I was thinking about this this week, and, and many, many years ago, daughters would be given a hope chest. Like, I don't know, maybe you experienced it, or maybe you know, have generations where there's a hope chest sitting in your house right now, and, and daughters would often be given this hope chest, and it would be filled with items that would be considered essentials uh, in a young woman uh, who is about to start a new life and marriage. And so parents might uh, put in their hope chest, they might put things like silverware or china, like family heirlooms. They might put linens. There might be some clothing in there. There might be jewelry. Uh, maybe there would be a, a, a good book about marriage in there, or maybe there'd be a family Bible. Uh, and, and all things that were in this hope chest were there to make a young lady, uh, to help her make sure that she was prepared for this new marriage. And you see, when we accept Jesus, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, we start to follow him. And each one of us is given a hope chest, symbolically. And the question today is, what's in your hope chest? Like, what would you find in your faith hope chest? And, and too many Christians, too many of us are placing our hope in, in the wrong things. Too many of us are placing our hope in, in people or, or maybe in a certain type of relationship, or, or maybe it's we're placing our hope in a parent or a spouse or a child or a grandchild. Or maybe, maybe we're placing our hope in a future spouse or, or an employer. Uh, and, and let me just tell you that if you're placing your hope in a person, uh, I, I can promise you that people will always disappoint you. People will always disappoint you. I've told you many times from here that there will come a time where I will disappoint you because I'm a human, right? Because I am, I, I'm just a human being and I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to screw up and I'm going to disappoint you because that's what people do is people disappoint us. But here's what I know, that God will never disappoint you. God will never disappoint you. And so some of us, we put way too much hope in people. Other uh, Christians, they place their hope in, in a political system. And, and we've seen a lot of that. Like, I don't have to explain that to you uh, in these days that we're in right now, but we, we, we put our hope in if just the right person is elected or if the right party wins the election or if the right Supreme Court justice gets in, that everything will be okay and we place our hope in the political system. But as we're learning from uh, Daniel that, God is in control of all the nations, and, and God is in control of what is happening politically, even though it may seem out of control. And so we put our hope in people, we put our hope in political systems. Many of us are putting our hope in pleasure, if we're really honest, and, and we're putting our hope in a moment or in an event in our lives, and we think that if we can just find enough pleasure, that we will have hope. That if we go to the lake enough, or if we go to Disney enough, or we go to the beach enough, or whatever it is for you, that if we go there enough, we won't have to think about our problems. And so we put our hope in these moments in our lives or in these events. But I'm here to tell you this morning that the first thing in your hope chest must be the person of Jesus Christ. That of all things that are in your hope chest, the most important thing is a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Our hope needs to be in Jesus and Jesus alone. There's some other things, though, that we need in our spiritual hope chest. We also need the promises of God in our hope chest. And it's the promises of God that get us through the winter months, that when we are feeling hopeless, that it's the promises of God that we find hope in. And we will see in a few minutes that Daniel, Daniel had an anchor verse. Like he had a verse that brought him hope and a verse that got him through the 70 years of winter, being exiled from his home and living in this strange land called Babylon. And, and you see, you need, you and I, we need the promises of God. When we feel like God is against us, we need the promises like Romans 8 that reminds us that God is for us and not against us. And that if, uh, if he spared his own son Jesus for us, how much more would he give you all things that you need through Jesus? So we need the promises. We need promises like when you doubt that God loves you, we need to be reminded again in Romans 8 where it tells us that nothing can separate you from the love of God. That there's nothing that can separate us from God's love. Uh, maybe you figured out, maybe you figured out, you know what, you figured it out that you need Jesus in your life. And maybe you figured it out that you need the promises of God in your life. But the third thing that's in our hope chest, and I wonder, have you realized or figured out that you also need the people of God in your life too? That you need the people of God in your spiritual hope chest. That too many of us as Christians were trying to get by in life without other Christians. Like we're just trying to make it on our own. We're like, I don't need anybody else's help. I don't want anyone else to know my business. And we're trying to do this thing called the Christian life on our own. But yet when we look at the New Testament and when you read the New Testament, you see that it is a book of one another's. That we, we are called to love one another. We're called to encourage one another. We're called to share our burdens with one another and carry each other's burdens through life. We are called to spur one another on and to love and do good deeds for one another, to forgive one another, to confess our sins to one another. You see, church, we need the one another's. We need to make sure that we have a tribe of other believers that are walking with us through this life. We're better together. We need one another. You see, we need the church to get us through. And as I think of Daniel and what hope means, and that's what the, 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 the word, if you will, the, the characteristic, the quality that we're going to look at today is this idea of hope. And when I look at what, uh, Daniel and think of him and what hope means, I realize this, that hope for Daniel is the confident expectation in the Lord's plan and provision for your future. That that's what hope is, that if, if Daniel was asked to define it, he would say, yeah, hope, that's easy. Hope is me being confident and ex confidently expecting that God is going to show up and, and that he's got a plan and he's got a provision for my life. You see, Daniel and his hope chest, he had all of those ingredients. He had all the things that we just talked about. And I wonder today, what about you? Like, are you trying to work on your own plan or are you like Daniel, where you are confident uh, and confidently expecting 
that the Lord's plan and provision for your future is what's best for your life. Like, do you believe that? Do you believe that God has a plan and a future for your life? And I think when we use the word hope, I think it's a word that we throw out there and we get it confused with other words. Like we say, we say this, we say, I know Brenton's saying this. We say, I hope that the Bengals will win the Super Bowl this year. I hope. Or we say, I hope that it doesn't rain today. Or I hope that we have Chinese for lunch today. And now that's not hope. That's just wishful thinking, right? Like that's not hope. But when it comes to my relationship with Jesus, I need to be confident I need to be confident that God is good, that God has a plan, and that God will provide uh, at the right time and the right way during the right season. And so you see, if Daniel had a hope chest, he had a promise, right? Like he had a promise in there, and the promise, that scripture that he held on to uh, is a familiar one for us, Jeremiah 29, 11. Anyone heard of Jeremiah 29, 29.11? Uh, of course you have. A lot of you have. You've got it on mugs. You've got it on t-shirts. You see it on bumper stickers. And, and we love to memorize this verse. We love to quote this verse. But we need to understand the context that this verse was written in. Like we got to understand what was going on. And Jeremiah 29.11 comes on the heels of verses 9 and 10 that are talking about after 70 years. It's God talking about how Israel will be in exile for 70 years. And after 70 years of captivity are up, then God will rescue his people. And you see, Jeremiah was written years before Daniel and, and went into captivity. And Daniel knew the prophecy of Jeremiah. He was a student of God's word. He was a student of the prophets, and he understood that, hey, there is coming 70 years of captivity. And then when he was in the 70 years of captivity, he knew and understood God said that there will be 70 years of captivity. And then when we catch up today, that 70 years is coming to an end. And Daniel knows that the time in captivity is coming to an end. But he also knew Jeremiah 29, 11. Not only did God say that there would be 70 years of captivity, but God told them this through Jeremiah. He said, listen, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for you to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That was the context of which Jeremiah 29, 11 was written. And Daniel knew that promise. And I think that Daniel held on. And that's where he found his hope to the promise of God that, listen, I know there's going to be 70 years of winter, but I have plans, plans to, for a future and not to harm you. You see, God had plans for the nation of Israel. And God has plans for us too. He does. He's got plans for the church. He's got plans for every single one of us in this room as Christ followers. And we learn God's plan by reading his scriptures, right? By reading the Bible, when we open up God's word and we begin to read uh, the, the, the things that are happening in the Bible, that's where we find God's plan for our lives. And those plans are for our well-being. Like Jeremiah 29, 11 was for the people of Israel, but it translates into us today that those plans are for our well-being, that we can have peace in our soul, not to bring us harm, but to give us a future and a hope. 
And you know, a lot of people have faced, I think about this, a lot of people have faced a lot of despair over the past few years. But I, I realized that long before COVID was here, I realized that people were hurting. Like it has come to a head uh, through the past three years. We see it more clearly now than we've ever seen it. But people have been hurting for a while. They've been hopeless for a while now. And the Jewish nation, well, they had been in captivity for 70 years, but they had an anchor verse that gave them hope. And for Daniel, his hope was this, that the Lord alone controls the nations. Like that was Daniel's hope. He knew the promises that were made by Jeremiah. He knew how God used Jeremiah to be a spokesperson, and he knew what God promised. And remember, remember what we said. We said God is in control, right? We've talked about this, that God is in control of those who are in control. And this was very important for the Jewish nation, and it's so important for us today in 2023. You see, we need to understand that God is in control and that the Son of Man, Jesus himself, will return one day and he will judge the nations and he will establish his kingdom here on earth. Listen, I want you to hear this, that God just isn't building his kingdom at Warehouse Church. That God's kingdom is way bigger than Warehouse Church. His big, he's building his kingdom across the world. And so let's dive in to Daniel chapter 7 and see clearly where Daniel's hope comes from. And, and some say this about Daniel 7. Some would say that Daniel 7 is the most important chapter in the entire book of Daniel. And they would say the reason that Daniel 7 is such a big deal is because it lays the foundation for Daniel's hope. That Daniel chapter 7 is laying the groundwork for where Daniel got his hope from. And scholars would even say that, Dan, that the book of Daniel is the most important book in the Old Testament because Daniel's vision includes the future, right? Like Daniel's vision includes today. And it describes all the world's powers starting from t Daniel's time till Christ comes back to establish his kingdom. So it covers a vast uh, uh, time, a period of time. And I think this is what Daniel understood that gave him hope. I think Daniel understood that God is in control of the future. That God is in control of the future. That's why he could get up every morning. That's why he could pray three times a day. That's why he could pray knowing that he would end up in the lion's den. That's why he could say with resolve that I'm not going to eat these things because it would, it, would, it would dishonor my God. Because he had this hope that God was in control of the future. You see, Daniel chapters 1 through 6, they're all about history, right? Like these are the stories that we learn in Sunday school, Daniel 1 through 6. And then Sunday school stops talking about Daniel in chapter 7 because it gets, it gets uh, future-minded, right? It's prophecy, and it, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to understand. And so, so we see that Daniel's uh, chapters 7 through 12, uh, while 1 through 6 are from an earthly perspective, Daniel's chapter 7 through 12, they're looking into the future, and, and we are looking at it through the lens of a heavenly perspective. So Daniel 1 through 6 is very tactile. It's touchable. You can put it on history. You can see it. But Daniel 7 through 12 is looking into the future. 
It's what's, gonna, what's coming down the road. And, uh, and we have to look at it from a heavenly perspective. And here's the deal, that many of us get tripped up because we look at, uh, we look at things through an earthly perspective. Like this is where we struggle in our faith. This is where we struggle in our Christianity because we look at things from an earthly perspective. But we're going to need to be more like Daniel. And we're going to need to look at life from a heavenly perspective if we are going to share in the hope that Daniel had. And that's why we have prophecy. Like prophecy is really important in the scriptures. Prophecy's role uh, uh, was so um, so that we could have hope. You see, so that we have hope and we're prepared for the future. And we study prophecy so that we will have this holy life. And because we understand that this isn't all there is, that there is a future, that there is a hope. And and if I could sort of summarize Daniel in a a word, uh, it would be this. It would be that Daniel understood that one day in the future, Jesus uh, will judge all the nations and he will establish his throne, and he will reign, and the saints will reign with him. Now, don't miss this. This is so important. It's, it's what has given Christians from the time of Jesus and even the Old Testament saints hope. This is where the church found its hope, that one day, that one day in the future, that Jesus will judge all the nations, that he will establish his throne, and he will reign, and you and I will reign with him. And too often, though, too often we find ourselves putting our hope in things that don't last. So let's open up Daniel chapter 7, verse 1, and see what this hope is. Here's where it starts out. Daniel says this. He says, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind and he was lying in bed and he wrote down the substance of his dream. And so right away we see in this chapter that Daniel is in in, at night. He's having a dream. Uh, It's a clear vision. He wakes up. He writes down his thoughts and he he, he receives this vision about four beasts. And, uh, and, it, and it can be kind of uh, scary, it can be kind of wild, it can be kind of crazy, and I just want to, I'm not going to be able to go through the full description, I just want to get to the real meat of the matter, but, uh, but here's a visual that I kind of put together to help us to understand uh, these four kingdoms. And, and here's what you need to uh, understand uh, that these four kingdoms are prophesied in different places in the book of Daniel. So we see it first in Daniel chapter 2, we read about it, we see it in Daniel chapter 7, we see it in Daniel chapter 8. And each one of these visions talks about these kingdoms. And uh, in today's passage, the four beasts that we're going to read about or see, talk about, uh, the four beasts represent the four kings and the four kingdoms of Babylon, the Medo-Persian, the, the Greek, and the Romans. And, uh, and so, uh, but there's some things that we need to know about this. In fact, scholars... Uh, scholars who doubt the Bible. So these are scholars that don't believe in, in God. They don't believe in the Bible. But they say that Daniel had to have been written long after the actual book or this, this vision had to, be, had to have been written long after Daniel because it was so accurate. They're like, the vision was so accurate to the times. But here's some things that we need to know. Daniel 2 was written when he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's vision as a teenager. Daniel 7 
uh, when he gets the vision of the animals or the beast, that happens 50 years later. So 50 years later, now he's writing another vision. He gets another vision about the kingdoms and he talks about it. And, and here's what we learn is that God is in control of the future. But pay attention because Daniel 7 was written 14 years before Daniel 6. So track with me. Daniel 7 was written, uh, was written 14 years before Daniel chapter 6. And that means that Daniel had the courage to step into the lion's den uh, because he already knew the rest of the story. He already knew what was going to happen. He already had a hope for the future. And so he could say, you know what? I'm going to pray no matter what to my God, not to King Darius, but to my God, because I know how the story ends. And because right after Jeremiah 29, 11 too, guess what it says? God says, if you seek my face, if you humble yourself and if you pray, I'm going to show up in miraculous ways. And that's exactly what he did in the lion's den. Remember we talked about, he was in the lion's den, the king was praying over uh, and fasting over Daniel. He opens the lion's den and where's Daniel? He's sitting there with the lions. Remember, in the jungle, the mighty, you know, he's just hanging out with the lions. And so for some of us, some of us in here, God's shown up in miraculous ways. And while we don't know the future and we don't know what it holds, we have confidence, right? We have confidence that God is in control of the future. We know how the story ends. And so we see these four beasts in verses 4 through 8 of Daniel 7. And I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to kind of give you the, the highlights. The first beast that we see is the lion with wings. So we'd see this lion with wings and scholars, again, who doubt the accuracy of the Bible, even say that this description of the lion with wings describes King Nebuchadnezzar to a T and what happened to him in the Babylonian empire. So they're amazed. They're like, whoa, this is a perfect description. And then they say that the bear that it talks about next describes perfectly the Medo-Persian empire. And then they say the winged leopard, which he talks about next, next describes Alexander the Great and the four emperors that he put over the world in great detail. And then again, scholars who even doubt the accuracy of the Bible will say that this description is so accurate of these four beasts in its description and, and, then, and then there's this beast, right? The fourth thing is this beast, which describes the Roman Empire. Now, that's a really quick version. That's like the cliff note version. Uh, but the truth that I want you to know is this, that one day in the future, the Son of Man will come back and establish his kingdom, and he will rule, and we will rule with him. And so let's look uh, at this, starting at verse 9. And here's where I want to dive in, the meat of Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse 9. It says this, as I looked, so Daniel, vision, as I looked, the thrones were placed and the ancient of days took his seat. So God the Father takes his seat. His clothing was as white as snow and the hair on his head was like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from him behind him, before him, a thousand thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. Now, there's a couple of things here that I want you to see in this prophecy, and the first thing is this, that they served him. 
This is important for us, that they served him. We need to understand, because here's what it said in verse uh, 10. It said, thousands, a thousand thousand serve him, and a 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. You see, we need to understand that in the future, we are going to serve God. That in the future, we're going to serve God. We are not, we're not, contrary to Hallmark and other things, we are not going to be sitting on clouds with diapers on and harps in our hands, playing. That's not what we're going to do. We are going to be serving and worshiping the Lord all the days of our lives. And our service, check this out, our service in the future is going to be determined by our service in the present. Hear me when I say that. What I love about this Daniel 7 picture is it sort of like Netflix or Prime? I don't know if you have any of those streaming things, but if you go to Netflix, you can see like a little trailer of the show that you're thinking about watching. That's how I determine if I want to watch a show or not. I watch the little trailer. And, and Daniel 7 is like one of those trailers. It's just a picture of what is coming. And, and so you have this little trailer or show of what the TV show is going to be like. And, and most of us live our lives... Most of us live our lives with this picture of what heaven is going to be like, and it's just a little trailer. It's just a little sneak peek of what heaven is going to be like, but we don't take it very deep. Like, we don't think about what heaven is going to be like. Or maybe we, we start to think about it, and we're like, I can't comprehend it, and we give up, and we don't think about it. But you know what? God has a kingdom for us. He has a kingdom for us where we will serve and worship him. So we as Christians should be serving and worshiping him today. Like, it's not like I'm going to wait. It's not like you say, I'm going to wait till my kids grow up or I'm going to wait until the loan's paid off. We, we can't wait. We should be serving and worshiping the Lord today because here's the deal. If you're not serving God now, you are missing the whole point of the future. And so... Notice this, though. It says this. It says, we will serve him, but it also says the court sat in judgment and the books were opened. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. You see, the Bible describes different types of judgments, and the books will be open. What does that mean? Well, many of you have heard of the book of life, right? You've heard of the book of life. In Revelations 20, there is a great white throne judgment, and it contains all the believers throughout eternity. The book of life contains all of the believers throughout of eternity. But only in Revelations 20, only unbelievers appear at the great white throne judgment. And it says that they are cast away into the fire because they're not found in the books. They're not found in the book of life. And they are eternally separated from God. But many of us don't know that there's also a believer's judgment that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 10. And the Bible says that we... As believers, we will also appear before the judgment seat of Christ to determine the deeds that we have done, whether good or bad. And that's not what Daniel is talking about here, but that is our future. Like Daniel's not talking about Christians. He's talking about the great judgment that Revelations talks about. But we are still uh, going to be judged for our behavior. Now, we all get to go to heaven, but we will be judged on what we have done here. And that's why Paul says that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not to determine if you go to heaven or hell, but to determine how you will serve in the kingdom to come. So Paul says we live our lives to please Jesus, 
And placing our hope in Christ continually is what pleases Jesus. But you notice what it says in verse 13. It says this. It says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. You see, even though the son of man, uh, that phrase has been used to describe many people throughout the Bible, it is clear here that the son of man is describing Jesus Christ in the future. And when Christ was here on earth, he even referred to himself as the son of man and others referred to him as the son of man over 80 times. In fact, as he talks about his return, as Jesus talks about his return, he says that you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And so here, Daniel sees in his vision Jesus returning. Verse 14 goes on and says, And to him was given dominion, to Jesus was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, everybody say all. All right, you might want to remember that, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. In other words, the gospel is inclusive of all people, right? That nobody is, accept, that nobody is, is, is cast out, that all people have the opportunity to serve Jesus. His dominion, it says, is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So as you read that, and if you're a Christ follower, that should get you a little excited. Like you should be excited of the words that say his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. You should get excited that he is coming and he is returning, that all are welcome. And so Jesus is coming back and he's coming back to establish his kingdom here on earth. And that means the problems you have in your home and the problems you have with your home aren't going to matter anymore. It means that your job and and the job with your coworkers or your boss or the problems with your boss, they're not going to matter anymore. That the pain and the suffering and the sickness, it's not going to matter anymore. You see, that's why Paul says these words, that our present sufferings that we go through are nothing compared to our future glory. That what you are experiencing now will be nothing compared to eternity with Jesus. You see, there is a kingdom to come, and God is in control of the future. So Daniel, he developed this hope. Like he developed this hope that one day, he knew, he believed in all of his heart, he was confident That one day the Son of Man will come and he will judge all the nations and he will sit on the throne and he will reign and we will reign with him. And verse 15 tells us that Daniel was troubled. So when Daniel gets to the beast in his vision, he becomes troubled. It says it right there, point blank. It says he was troubled because there's this judgment and he's concerned over other people that he cares about. Uh, he's, he's, he, he cares about the Babylonians. He knows that judgment's coming. But then verse 18, we find hope. Because here's what he says. He says, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. The saints, that's you and me. The saints aren't these cool little uh, guys that are statues in a church. That's not the saints. The saints are you and me believers of Jesus Christ. And he says, but 
Yes, there's judgment, but those who believe in God shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever and ever. You see, there's a gift given, a gift of peace, a gift of joy, a gift of hope that will last forever. And right now, I know it's messy. I know that this life is messy. It can be confusing. It can be noisy. And there's suffering all around us. But in the future, there is going to be a hope, church. There's going to be a hope and a joy and a peace. There's not going to be any suffering. There's not going to be any more fighting. There's not going to be any arguing. There's not going to be any more divorces. There's not going to be any more struggling. It's all going to be hope and peace and joy as we live our lives serving and worshiping our Lord. And then we see Daniel. He's concerned. He's concerned about the fourth kingdom as, it, as if it was the most terrifying And here's what he says in verse 23. He says, thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. Now, scholars, guys that are way more intelligent than I am, they say that the fourth beast has yet to develop the entire earth, to devour the entire earth. So, this passage is still futuristic, that this fourth kingdom has yet to come. And verse 24 goes on and says, as for the 10 horns out of this kingdom, 10 kings shall arise and another shall arise after them and he shall be different from the former ones and he shall put down three kings and he shall speak words against the most high and shall wear out uh, the saints of the most high and he shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions shall serve and obey him. You see, this is where Daniel found his hope as a teenager to a man in his late 70s because he knew this. He knew that one day, one day in the future, so yes, I'm suffering, I'm experiencing pain, I'm experiencing hardship. It's messy here, but, Daniel would say, but one day in the future, judgment will happen, Christ will reign, and the saints will rule with him. That's where Daniel placed his hope. He didn't place his hope in people. He didn't place his hope in kings and kingdoms. He didn't place his hope in moments and time. He placed his hope in the future, knowing that God would return, his kingdom would be established, and he would worship and serve him forever. And so, The question for us is, well, what's our next step? What should we do? And I'd like to give you three, three things as we wrap up. The first one is this. We need to put our hope in Christ alone. Church, we need to learn to put our hope in Christ and Christ alone. Stop putting your hope in things that don't last. Put your hope fully in Jesus. And that hope, chefs, if there's one thing that needs to be there, it's this idea of putting our hope in Jesus and him alone. Not in people, not in a political party, not in a leader, not in a job, not in a bank account, 
but let us put our hope in Christ and Christ alone. The second thing that I think that we as Christians need to do uh, is this, that we need to rejoice in that hope. We need to rejoice in that hope. When we come to worship together, we should be excited and hopeful people because we know how the story ends. Is it messy now? Yes. That's why Paul was able to say rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. You know why Paul rejoiced in the Lord now? Because he knew what was coming later. And he could rejoice now and had hope now, chained to a wall, in prison, house arrest. He found hope because he knew what was coming down the road. Daniel found his hope in the very same thing. He knew he was living in a foreign land, in a foreign culture, with people that were anti-God, but yet he had hope. And he had hope because he knew that Jesus would return, establish his kingdom, and he would spend the rest of his life serving and loving and worshiping the Lord. So we got to rejoice in hope. Romans 12, 2 reminds us to rejoice in hope. It says that. It says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. In the winter months, in that wintry time, be patient and be faithful in prayer. Only us Christ followers can have that hope to rejoice in. Listen, if you haven't said yes to Jesus, you don't have that hope. That hope's not there. The hope is for those who have surrendered their life to Jesus. And as Christ followers, you need to have the third thing, and that's this. You need to have an anchor verse of hope. And that's the third step. Establish an anchor verse of hope. You need to leave here today and you need to go home and you need to study your word. You need to scan through the Bible and you need to pick an anchor verse of hope. For Daniel, it was Jeremiah 29, 11. I believe that. He knew that God had a plan. He knew that the time of, of exile was coming to an end and he established that anchor verse of hope. Maybe for you, it's Romans 12, 12. Maybe for you, it's Jeremiah 29, 11 or Psalm 121. Whatever it is, you need to go home and you need to find an anchor verse because life is messy, because life is confusing, and you could walk out of those doors today, and tragedy could strike you in a moment. And if you don't have a verse to anchor your life to, you're going to drown in hopelessness. My anchor verse, the one that I hold on to, is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It tells me to trust in the Lord with all my heart, it says, lean not on your own understandings, but in all of your ways and acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. You see, I know at the end of the day, if I put my trust in Jesus, that if I put my hope in him, I don't trust my own heart, but I trust Jesus, that he's gonna make my straight path and that, that, that path that he's gonna make leads to eternity, worshiping and serving my Lord. What's your anchor verse, church? What are you gonna anchor your life to? Where you, when life gets hard and messy and hopeless, what verse are you gonna find hope in? Because I can promise you, I promise you that you will not stay strong in hope if you don't have that anchor verse and that Christ is not the cornerstone of your life that holds everything together. I call it living the Jesus-centered life. We gotta learn to live the Jesus-centered life. We gotta put Jesus at the center of everything that we do. That's where our hope is. Our hope is in Jesus, not in people, not in institutions, not in politics, not in jobs, not in bank accounts. Our hope is in Jesus. And when we put our hope in Jesus and we anchor our lives to a verse like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, or Jeremiah 29, 11, in those moments when life gets messy, and the Bible says life will get messy, Jesus promises 
Life will get hard. Life will get messy. But you can put your hope in Him. You can put your trust in Him. So if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, listen. He is our living hope. And let today, let today be the day that you put your hope in Jesus. Because here's the promise. He will come back. He will return. And he will judge those who have said yes and those who have said no. And those that have said yes live forever with Jesus. And those who have said no will live eternally separated from God. And then he will judge those who have said yes. And he'll ask you the question, what did you do with your life? What did you do with your life? How did you serve me? I don't know about you, but when I face Jesus in the throne and he asks that question of me, I want to be able to say, God, I served you every day of my life. I found ways to love you and to serve you and to worship you. So I pray that if you haven't given your life to Christ, that today would be the day. And if you've given your life to Christ, how will you answer the question, how have you served me? How have you served me? There's no waiting. Don't wait until your kids get out of school. Don't wait until that loan's paid off. Don't wait until, and you fill in the blank. Start serving him today because you're gonna be doing it for the rest of eternity. Serving and worshiping our Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for these challenging words in your and Daniel, Lord. God, these challenging words that remind us that we can have hope. That no matter how hard and how difficult and how challenging life is right now, that we can have hope knowing that you will one day return and you will take away all the evil in this world you will replace it with your love, your joy, and your peace, and your hope. Father, I pray that we would learn to be people of hope like Daniel learned, that we would learn to be people of hope like Paul, the Apostle Paul was, that in those moments of hopelessness, that we would remind ourselves that we know how the story ends we would find hope in knowing that you are coming back again to make all things new. God, would you renew us today? Would you refresh us? And Lord, if there's someone in this room that has never given their life to you, Father, I pray that today would be the day they would surrender their life fully to you and experience this hope talking about just pray just invite the Lord into your life you can say something like Jesus I recognize that I have lived my life without you that I've been a sinner but today that all changes because I am surrendering my life to you I'm inviting you to come and be my Lord and my Savior and from this day forward I'm going to follow you no longer going to trust in my own ways. 
I'm going to acknowledge that you are my Lord and you are my Savior. And you will make straight my path. Come, Lord Jesus, be my Savior. Amen. Hey, church, let's stand up together as we sing this closing song. And I want to invite you, if you would like to come and spend time in prayer. Maybe you just want to come and you just want to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the hope that I have. Or maybe you want to come and say, you know what, Lord, life's been kind of messy and hard and challenging, and I've forgotten. I, got, I took my eyes off the prize, and I want to renew hope. I want to renew my hope in you, and you come and pray. Or maybe you need to come and just invite the Lord into your life. Whatever it is, you're welcome to come and spend time in prayer. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm right here on the front row. Just tap me. I'd be honored to pray with you. But let's worship. Let's worship as if we are worshiping uh, right at the throne of Christ. Worship with all of your heart as we sing out today.